All right, are we good back there with all the recordings? All right, so y'all agree with me and let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for an awesome time of worship. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we love your presence. We love the glory. And Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. But Lord, we also thank you so much for the word of God, our anchor. And Lord, every part of your word from beginning, beginning to end, just as Jesus said, not one jot or tittle would pass away. Lord, thank you for your word. It is perfect. It is holy. And Lord, we just thank you for the gift that you've given us of the Bible. And as we go through this book of Revelation, Lord, I thank you for anointing and speaking through me everything that needs to be spoken tonight, that it'll go out as living seeds of truth that's sown into good soil of hearts and minds and lives and be watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Even now, let your Holy Spirit move upon everybody that's going to be hearing this and help us to lock in and focus, that we're not distracted, but the Holy Spirit moves upon every one of us to help us that our minds are focused, that to touch our eyes and ears, and we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, our hearts are in tune with you, what you're speaking, what you're teaching us, that we will receive it by the Holy Spirit's assistance, and Lord, we will learn and grow tonight, and we thank you, Lord, for everything being accomplished in and through this, everything said that needs to be said, and everything will be accomplished in every life that your will to be done, as the winds of your Spirit carry this everywhere it needs to go. And your mighty angels are watching over your word. And let me say this too. We know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. Lord, we submit this unto you. And we resist the devil. All of us as a church, we take authority in anything that would try to hinder this from getting where it's supposed to be and accomplishing what it's supposed to do. Any hindrance of the enemy. We bind you in the name of Jesus. You will back off and go right now from it. Release it. Go. And Lord, I thank you for your angels just clearing away any hindrance. And we stand on the promise, your word will not return void, but go forth and accomplish what you sent it for it to do. We thank you for it. We believe it. We expect it. In Jesus' name, as we agree as to touching this on earth, we believe it to be done. In Jesus' mighty name. All right, so as we get into this tonight, we're on part 25. And uh, probably at least one more sermon after this. I think I can finish it in one. And we'll look next next week, Lord willing, at 20, uh, chapters 21 and 22, and finish it out. But tonight, we're looking at chapters 19 and 20. And so, I entitled this, The Millennial Reign of Christ, and we're just going to kind of go through it together, and then um, we're going to pray at the end and just believe God for a powerful time in the altar. I felt like the Lord's really wanting to move during that time really strong. So, Let's just dive into this tonight. You guys have been enjoying this book of Revelation, learning about it. It's been, it's been fun to go back through it. And so I'm just going to read and then explain it as we go. And this probably won't be as long as other sermons because I'm just reading it and explaining it. So we're looking at Revelation 19 and 20. So those that want to follow along, um, the first scene that we have, starting with verse 1, is a scene in heaven. Do you remember where we left off last week? The world was really weeping and mourning over the destruction of Babylon, especially, especially with political Babylon because that was where their economy and their wealth was connected. And here it was destroyed, and they were weeping. But the Lord was saying to heaven, he was saying, all you apostles and prophets and saints and everybody, you need to be rejoicing over the destruction of Babylon. 
And so here's a scene now, it picks right up after that. Here's a scene in heaven, and John saw this. It says, after these things, I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great prostitute, the whore Babylon, who was corrupting the earth with her sexual immorality, which remember is idolatry also. He has avenged the blood of the bondservants on her. So all those that have been martyred the blood of the martyrs, God had avenged them. You remember earlier in Revelation where they were under the altar and they were saying, Lord, we're asking for justice. We're asking for, you know, not really revenge, but, but justice for our blood, you know. And the Lord gave them white robes and told them, wait just a little bit longer. Well, here it is. The Lord now has released his justice, his judgments on behalf of the bondservants. And a second time they said, hallelujah. Her smoke rises forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard something like a loud voice or like a voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Isn't that an awesome scene? So here we have heaven rejoicing at God's judgments that are being completed on the earth. The judgments is God is now avenging the blood of the martyrs. He's, he's releasing his judgments on the Antichrist and his, his um, Babylonian system that was both uh, religious and political. But the political was not just politics, but it was an economy it was a worldwide economy, a worldwide military, etc. And God released his judgments on him. Now, not everything is in necessar- necessarily chronological order because when the rapture takes place um, before the days of Jacob's trouble, so before the tri- tribulation time, when the rapture happens, the remnant bride is going to go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so let me just explain this for a moment. So there's some pictures and types of this. For example, uh, there's several, but I'm just going to pick a few. Um, When Noah, remember how the judgments of God were coming on the earth? And Noah, the righteous, him and his family were a righteous remnant. They floated up. And then when the wrath of God subsided on the earth, they came back down again, you see. It's a picture and type of the rapture. And so as soon as the judgments are coming down, like in the days of Noah, Okay, when the judgments came down, Noah and his family went up. In the same way, I'll give one more picture and type is the priesthood. So when, when Moses anointed Aaron and his sons to serve as priest, they, they had to stay at the tabernacle for seven days to complete their ordination. They couldn't leave. So Moses, he, he took blood uh, there was different offerings. The ram of ordination was one, but the blood was applied to their, their right earlobe, speaking of your thought life, the right thumb, the works of your hands, and the right big toe, speaking of your walk, to consecrate them. And they had to be anointed with oil. Before that, they were also water immersed. They were being consecrated. And then Moses took the food that was a part of this ceremony 
and gave it to him to eat, but he said, you must stay here for seven days. So it's a picture and type of the bride because the Lord is going to catch us away, and for seven days, so to speak, a seven-year period, we're going to be with him. And he's going to finish a consecration. We're going to be given glorified bodies. And we're going to be ready to come back with him to rule and reign, okay? So um, this is not like at the very end of the tribulation, there's a marriage supper. This is something that's going to be going on over that seven-year period. But how many knows when you're in heaven, there's no time? So seven years is going to seem like seven days. It may even seem like seven minutes. So anyway... The marriage supper of the Lamb that's been going on during this tribulation time, it says here in verse 7, let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen. White linen always speaks of righteousness in the Bible. Okay, and I I keep a picture up for illustration back there of of a priest because a lot of times you say priesthood and, and people start thinking of like a Catholic or an Eastern Orthodox or some or Buddhist priest or whatever they're used to. And we're not talking about any of that. We're talking about a biblical priest. And so they had a layer of white. And it's, there's a picture back there for those that are here. But you can look up Aaron and his garments if you want to Google that. But there's a layer of white. And so that white speaks of righteousness. And see, the bride is going to have white garments and it speaks of a purity. Okay, and it says, for fine fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he said to them, these are the true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours, your brothers and sisters who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John was so overcome with what was going on, he fell down to worship, and and this fellow servant, you know, said, don't do that, get up. You need to worship God alone, you know. All right, so we see the marriage supper of the Lamb has been going on during this time. And the Bible says, blessed are those that are at the marriage supper. See, that's the thing that really uh, speaks to me as I study end-time prophecy, is that right now, the Holy Spirit is moving in the earth to get us ready for the marriage supper of the Lamb. But see, not everybody's going to respond. There are a remnant bride that will really repent, and their garments will be washed, and they're going to be ready. And when the Lord comes in the rapture, they're going to be with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But there's still going to be people left behind because they wouldn't deal with their sin. They wouldn't repent. They wouldn't get right. And they weren't walking with the Lord like they should have. And so, therefore, they're going to be the tribulation saints. They're still, if they repent and get right, they're going to be martyred, but they'll still be in heaven on the other side of their martyrdom, see. But I want to be one that's ready to meet the Lord in the air. Amen? And I don't believe that we're too terribly far away from that at all. All right, so then we see at the very end of the tribulation time, the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. So his first coming is to catch away his bride. It's a meeting in the air. But this second coming is he's coming physically to the earth. His feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives, and he's going into rain in Jerusalem. So verse 11, it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, 
And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many crowns. And he has a name written on him, which no man knows except himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, you and I are going to be with him. It says, the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He treads out the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written a name, King of kings and Lord of lords. And so that's like a, a garment that goes down over his thigh, and on that garment is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So see, I'll explain more of that as we go to make more sense. Then verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice. How many knows if you're standing in the sun, you're going to cry out with a loud voice, right? And so he cried out with a loud voice, saying, all the birds that fly in midheaven, come and assemble. Now here is a scene that I want to explain. When Jesus comes riding on the white horse, he's going to slaughter all the armies of Israel. Okay, the armies of the, of the Antichrist and the armies of the Far East, China, have all gathered down to the Valley of Megiddo there in Israel. And the Antichrist in China, basically, and whoever's allied with China, are warring, but the devil is going to try to turn that rage on Israel and destroy Israel. When Jesus comes, he's going to split the eastern sky, and he begins to descend toward Israel. All those armies, I mean, these are millions of people, mind you. It's not a small army. All, they're going to turn their focus now on Jesus, but it's going to amount to nothing because he's just going to speak out, and they're all just going to be slaughtered. And then he's going to come in. All right, so this is what the angel standing in the sun is saying. He cried out with a loud voice, saying, All the birds that fly in midheaven, come assemble for the great feast of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sat on them, and all the flesh of all the people, both free and slaves, small and great. And so, in other words, the Lord is going to massacre these armies, and the birds, all the buzzards and everything, are going to come and have a feast. All right. Verse 19, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. Who's the beast here? The Antichrist. And the kings of the earth and their armies. They were assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. All right. Did you know that in the book of Jude, that the early church apparently held the writings of Enoch and probably some other writings in high esteem? But the book of Jude quoted the book of Enoch here. And in Jude 14, it says this. It was also about these people that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying this. Behold, the Lord has come with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which, he, which they have done in their ungodly way in all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So Enoch even saw the coming of the Lord to the earth. And so now we see the doom of the beast and the false prophet. Verse 20, and the beast, this is the Antichrist now, 
The Antichrist was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence. It amazes me how history repeats itself because you have, here you have the Antichrist is like a Pharaoh, and the false prophet is like a great magician, sorcerer, witch, warlock, whatever you want to call him, and it's just like the magicians that were in Pharaoh's court. And, and you see Moses and Elijah are out there, the two prophets, and they're, I guarantee you they're going to be prophesying these plagues are coming, and you're seeing the, the bold judgments come down basically on this Antichrist Pharaoh, if you will, and it's destroying his economy. And you see here that the false prophet, just like those magicians in Egypt's court, the false prophet would perform signs and wonders in the presence of the Antichrist, just like those Egyptian magicians did. Isn't that something? So it says, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet who performed signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped the image, the idol. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire. <laughs> Man, they didn't, they didn't even get killed first. I mean, they just got snatched and thrown straight in the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came out of the mouth of him who sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So Jesus descends, and all he's got to do is speak out, and his mouth just slays all these millions of people. All right, then verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. And he took hold of the dragon. So the Lord just doesn't stop with the Antichrist and false prophet. The Lord sends out his mighty angels like Michael and others. And he's about to clean house. And so there's a mighty angel that has a key to the abyss. And he's got a chain. And he's going to go grab the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. The serpent of old, who is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So Satan is going to be bound with that chain and put down into the abyss and locked up for a thousand years. And let me tell you, it's not just referring to the devil as an individual. It's referring to all of his fallen angels and demons too, okay? And so it says it threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time, which I'll explain why. Then I saw thrones, verse 4, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So let me explain this. Verse 4, I saw thrones. See, when Jesus comes, he's going to reign from Jerusalem over the earth, but he's going to give his, some of his people places of authority. So they're, they're going to reign, for example, over people groups, nations or whatever. There's going to be Christians, leaders, whatever. 
that he's going to endow them to be a ruler on his behalf over that respective nation or that group of people. And so that's why the Bible says he's king of all the other kings. He's lord of all the other lords, you see. Because he's going to appoint judges and rulers throughout the earth that represent him. And then this is interesting. Then I saw the souls who had been beheaded, and it says they did not worship the beast. They were martyred, right? It says they came back to life to reign. See, here's what's going to happen. When Jesus comes to meet us in the air and there's a rapture, we are like the first fruits of the resurrection, so to speak. I know Jesus was physically the first fruits. I know that. But the rapture is like those that are alive in Christ will be changed in the blink of an eye, have given a glorified body. And those that were dead, you got to understand that right now in heaven, you have all these people with the Lord, but, but they don't have a physical body. They're just their, their spirit, body, and their soul. And you've got like Abraham, you have David, you have Samuel, all these people that you read about and countless millions of others that you don't read about. They're with the Lord right now, but when the rapture happens, the dead in Christ will rise. What that means is, is that they're going to be given, their body is here on the earth. They're going to be given their body, but in a glorified state. And those that are alive are going to be changed. And so there's going to be this meeting, this gathering to the Lord in the air with glorified bodies. And then those that are his remnant bride are going to go into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and that's where we're going to be spending time with him while the earth is going to be going through judgments. And at the end of the tribulation time, now you had all these people that were martyred through the tribulation, and so they're not going to miss out on this resurrection they're going to be raised back to life and given their glorified bodies to reign with the Lord as well. Does this make sense? And so it goes on to explain this. And it says, um, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. And there's a reason for that I'm going to explain. What it's saying here is the rapture and when Jesus comes back, do you remember when the Apostle Paul said this? He said, if the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of the gospel, was salvation to the world, which it was, by the Jews that rejected the gospel, went to the world, he said, what else could it be when Israel accepts Jesus but life from the dead, resurrection? So what it's saying here is that when Jesus comes, all of that curse that came on the world through Adam is going to be gone. The world is going to become like the Garden of Eden. The devil and all of his influence that has been very pervasive, well, that's all we've known, so we don't realize how pervasive it is. All that's going to be gone. People are going to live, you know, like 900 years, whatever, just like they did in Adam's day because there's no death, you understand. I mean, it's going to be this. So when Jesus comes, the earth itself is going to experience like resurrection life. But also those that are in Christ are going to be raised from the dead. They're going to be given their glorified bodies. It's a resurrection. And so that's the first resurrection. Okay. In verse 6, 
Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. You know what the second death is? See, everybody's going to die unless you make the rapture, but you're going to die. The second death is going to hell because you're there forever. It's separation from God. So you have a physical death, but then you have a second death, which is going to hell forever. But it says here, blessed are those that experience this first resurrection because you will not experience the second death. For they will be priests of God and his Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, we're going to fast forward to the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. See, the Holy Spirit is moving right now to get us ready for the rapture, to get us ready to meet the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one in the earth right now. When Jesus comes physically to the earth and reigns for a thousand years, he's going to be spending a thousand years getting the world ready for the coming of the Father. Did everybody catch that? Okay, so Jesus is getting the world ready for the Father to come. So he's been reigning. This is a fast forward. Verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Many people that survive the tribulation time and the Lord permits them to live because there's going to be goat nations that are thrown into hell. There's going to be large groups of people that are annihilated and thrown into hell. But those that are permitted to live, the sheep nations, the Lord, they're going to be procreating for this thousand years. So there's going to be a lot of people that are born. How many knows a thousand years is a long time? Since the signing of our declaration has not even been 250 years yet. Okay, a thousand years is a long time. And so there's going to be a lot of babies born. There's a lot of people that have been filling the earth for this time period, okay? And all that they've ever known is the reign of Jesus Christ. They've never known the world the way we've known it, where the devil is loosed and all that. And so consequently, they never really had much of a choice. How many knows God will always give you a choice? See, when he made the Garden of Eden, he made sure everything was perfect and all that, but he made sure to put one tree in there and said, don't eat that, you have a choice. And what, is, what did man do? He went out of their way to do the one thing God said not to do. God will always give us a choice because he doesn't want an arranged marriage. He wants people that want to love him and serve him. And so we're always going to have a choice. And so that's why these people that are born during the tribulation, they, I mean, born during the thousand-year reign of Christ, they never really had much of a choice. So God's going to give them a choice. And it says that when the thousand years were completed, Satan was released from his prison. Now, this isn't just Satan. This is probably his fallen angels and minions that are released as well. And will come out to deceive the nations. You see how the Lord had put leaders representing him over nations all over the world. And people that had been born during this thousand-year time had repopulated the earth again. And so now the devil and his minions have been loosed to come upon the earth. And the Bible calls them here Gog and Magog to gather them together for war. And the, look, listen to this. After this thousand-year period, all these people that all they've ever known is the reign of Christ. 
And they've, they've had it so good. They lived without sickness. They didn't have a curse. You got to understand when Jesus is reigning on the earth, you don't even have to worry about things like snakes are not poisonous anymore. Kids can play with snakes. The lion will not eat people and other animals. The, the Bible says the lion will eat straw like a cow. And so, I mean, you're going to be able to pet lion. There's nothing that you have to be afraid of. It's the Garden of Eden. That's all they've ever known. You would think that they would appreciate that. But see, they never knew the other. That's all they've ever known. And human nature is, seems to always be to take for granted what you have and not be thankful. And so the devil's loosed, him and his minions, and they begin to slither through the earth and begin to deceive people and tell them all these negative things about Jesus and all this. I don't know what he's going to say. It doesn't say, but he's going to deceive them. And listen to this. Their number will be like the sand on the seashore. It's not going to be two or three people. It's not just going to be a thousand people. It's going to be probably millions of people that are going to descend. You know what they're doing? They're going to make war against Jesus. They're going there to dethrone his rulership and rebel against him. Unbelievable. But they're going to do it. And this is after you and I have been telling them for a thousand years, listen, at the end of this thing, there's going to be this bad guy, the devil. He's going to look good and he's going to sound good, but I'm telling you, don't listen to him. And they're still going to listen to him. And so it says they came up on a broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, which is Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. So now is the devil's end. He's no longer bound in a chain waiting to be used for whatever. Now his final destination has come and he's going to be in the lake of fire bobbing around forever. How many are excited about that day? All right, so the devil who deceived him is thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. They've been bobbing around there for a thousand years. And it says, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Amen. That alone right there is worth getting excited about. Judgment at the throne of God. Now, the thousand years is up. The devil was let loose for a time because God is always going to give all of us a choice. Are you going to love and serve me or are you going to reject me? Apparently, a number like the sand on the seashore rejected Christ. So they were destroyed by fire and they were obviously killed. Now, here's what's going to happen. At the end of the thousand years, this was the, everybody look this way, this was the final sift. God sifted the earth, like right here with the devil being loose, God sifted the earth the last time. That was it. So all those upon the earth now that are with Jesus have made it all the way to the end. Every sifting, everything that's happened is over. Okay. So God's got to do one final judgment. This is the second resurrection, and it's a very negative one. See, all those that had died in their sin never got right with God, billions and billions of people. They're going to experience their resurrection now, and they're going to be raised up out of hell and given their bodies. And they're going to have to stand alone, every one of them, before the white throne judgment of God. 
And let me read it, and then I'll explain it. Verse 11, Then I saw the great white throne and him who sat on it, whose presence earth and heaven fled. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. That's the Lamb's book of life. So the first book that was open was probably their evil deeds, and it records that when they rejected the gospel, etc. You understand, that's going to come up. You see, you go out there and witness like we do a lot, and the people that make fun, that mock, they don't want to hear it, they go on their way, that's recorded. And over a thousand years from now, after all of it's said and done and they're brought up and they're given their bodies and they stand before the great white throne judgment and the books are open, that's going to be brought up. The great white throne judgment, God's going to look at them and said, you rejected my gospel, you rejected my son, and I even sent somebody to you specifically named this on this date to try to witness to you. And what'd you do? You cussed them out, you made fun of them, you didn't want to hear it. It's going to come up. The books of remembrance will be opened. And it says the Lamb's book of life was opened. Why? Because then you have to look at that book and see their name is not in the Lamb's book of life. And so the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And even the sea gave up the dead who were in it. See, they're being brought up out of hell, but they're given their bodies. You remember how it says the dead in Christ will rise? It's the same type of thing, but for those that are perishing. Their bodies are being brought up out of the sea, out of the earth. And they're being given back their body. And it says, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were also thrown in a lake of fire. These are powerful fallen angels here. Death and Hades, by the way. And it says, this is the second death. So does this make sense tonight? This was the second resurrection, but it was a negative one before the white throne judgment. And then they were thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And it says, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he is thrown in the lake of fire. So right now, hell is all these different compartments, pits of fire, all these different things. It's, it's worse than you can imagine demons trafficking through their torture, all of that. But eventually, hell is only going to be a huge, massive lake of fire. That's it. And everybody, every fallen angel, every demon, every evil person with their bodies are going to be in that lake of fire. And that's, that's the end of it. And this is, leads me to this. See, when we, when we die in Christ, those that die in Christ, right with Christ, that have repented and we've come into a covenant with God and we've truly repented, we're right. We go straight, the angels take you straight to heaven right now and you stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not looked at whether you were written in the Lamb's book of life because you wouldn't be there unless you were. What's judged is, is your life, your good works. All the people you witnessed to, all the money you gave, all the time you gave, everything that you did for the Lord, all of that is recorded. How God used you. And that's going to determine your rewards in heaven. 
So the judgment seat of Christ is, is more of a reward system, you see. <clears throat> Excuse me, but those that die in their sin, demons take them straight down into hell, and that's where they're going to stay until the great white throne judgment, at which time they'll be brought up and given their body, and then they're going to be judged because they're not saved. You see what I'm saying? Two different judgments. The judgment seat of Christ for believers, the white throne judgment for the heathen. But every one of us will face a judgment seat. All right, I want to close with this. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. So this is how I want to end it. And then next week we'll look at 21 and maybe 22. So you might want to read over those. But you remember how the earth was destroyed? I, I don't want to get too deep into the gap theory that I hold to, and most people do. But Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we know that, who knows how long ago that was? In the beginning. When was the beginning? Nobody knows. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But then in 1 verse 2, there had to be a huge gap of time there. Had to be. Because now... The Bible says in verse 2 in the Hebrew, it says the earth became formless and void. So something happened between the time God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth is formless and void in a destroyed condition. Most scholars believe this, and I do too, that God created the heavens and the earth, and Lucifer apparently had a very key role in worship, and the earth must have been part of his domain there was all these huge, massive creatures on here, dinosaurs and all this. I mean, we don't know a whole lot about this. But when Lucifer fell, he took a third of the angels with him. God threw him on the earth and then destroyed the earth. It was formless and void, most likely flooded, destroyed. All those massive creatures, that creation of that time was destroyed with him. So it must have been something under his domain. And there the earth set formless and void, for who knows how long. And then God looks down on the earth for whatever reason, instead of choosing another planet, God has some kind of an affection for the earth. The earth is there. The Bible doesn't say God said, let there be an earth, and then poof, there it is. It wasn't like that. The earth was destroyed. And so God begins to move again upon the earth. He separates, Remember? light from darkness, which is his glory from spiritual dark. He begins to separate water from land. He begins to separate up a firmament above. He creates the vegetation. He has water that he puts living creatures in. He creates the, the animals that roam on the earth and those that fly in the air. And on the sixth day, he creates Adam and then later gives him his wife Eve. So we know the story. But the first recorded judgment that we can perceive is that when Lucifer was thrown to the earth and then God flooded and destroyed the earth because the Holy Spirit was brooding over those waters. The second time God destroyed the earth was in the days of Noah. How did he destroy it? With water again. And so we know the floods came. Rain came down. The fountains of the deep busted up from the ground. The earth was so deep in water that no living thing can survive except which that was on Noah's Ark. 
except for the fish, which is an interesting thought. Because you get some, the deeper that our technology goes, the weirder those fish look down there. How old are those things, you know? So anyway, they, the, we know the earth was flooded a second time, and it was cleansed. But God put a rainbow and said, I will never do this again. So here's the interesting end of this. When Jesus finishes his mission of his thousand-year reign as the son of David, he's been faithful and true. He, he reigned with a rod of iron, never compromised. Things were right. He got the earth ready. At the end of that, the white throne judgment is the final purge. And where it says heaven and earth fled away, I think that it's the same reference. It probably is. But this is 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And look at this. The heavens will disappear with a roar. I think that that's the same thing. You remember it says, the one who sat upon the great white throne, the earth and heaven fled. Okay. Peter says the heavens will disappear with a roar. And look at this. The elements will be destroyed by fire. So the earth as we know it is going to be destroyed and purged by a spiritual fire. It's not going to be like a wildfire like in you see in California and it's like this charred. It's not like that. It's a spiritual fire that purges the heavens above and purges the earth. And it says, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So there's a, some kind of a purging that happens, a purification. See, right now if you die and go to heaven, the atmosphere that's in heaven is not like here. It's not like oxygen. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, a, it's a heavenly atmosphere there. We're spirit, it's spiritual. And those that are there have spiritual bodies, glorified bodies, whatever, spiritual bodies. Jesus is there in a glorified body. And so the way heaven is is going to become the way the earth is. So all the elements, everything natural, Everything that was created for Adam, all of that is going to be purged and it's going to be made like heaven on earth to make the way for the Father to come down here. Isn't it something? Why would the Father want to be here on earth? But he does. Why does he send his son here to reign for a thousand years? But he does. What is it in the heart of God that loves the earth? But he does. Specifically, he has a lot of affection toward that landmass of Israel and Jerusalem. But God loves the earth, and he loves humanity. Why didn't God just give up on humanity at some point? He's God. He can do what he pleases, you know. But there's something in the heart of God that loves the earth and loves humanity. And instead of just destroying us, he sent his son to save us. And he has sent redemption. So instead of just destroying it, like probably many of us might have done if we were in that place, instead of just saying, that's it, I'm done with it, throw it away, start over. God didn't do all that. He went through the painstaking process of restoring the earth and restoring us, redeeming us. But in the very end, the earth is going to be purified with holy fire and the Father is going to come down to the earth. There's going to be a new heaven 
a new earth, a new Jerusalem, there's not going to be any more sea. There's not going to be water, large land mass. I mean, large water mass. I don't know why, but there's not going to be like an ocean. But all of it will be new, spiritual, like heaven. And the Father will be on the earth with us forever. So that's where I want to leave off. And we'll look at next week, we'll pick up right there. And we'll talk about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all of that. So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your word. And, Lord, as we close this time out tonight, let this be sealed in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know your word. We love your word. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Isn't that encouraging, though, to see all that? God's heart of love. And how many times have we all failed the Lord at some point, you know? But God never just gave up on us and threw us away like a piece of garbage. He's always had a heart to forgive us and redeem us.